business women trust that Jesus is enough to meet every need and satisfy every heart. Praying you will be encouraged and strengthened through this message from the Discipleship Summit. If you will turn to Isaiah 43, I'm going to start with verse 1. Coastlands, listen to me in silence and let the peoples gain new strength. Let them come forward, then let them speak. Let them come together for judgment. Who has aroused one from the east whom he calls in righteousness to his feet? He delivers up nations before him and subdues kings. He makes them like dust with his sword. As the wind-driven chaff with his bow, he pursues them, passing on in safety. By a way he had not been traversing with his feet. Who has performed and accomplished it, calling forth the generations from the beginning? I, the Lord, am the first and with the last, I am he. And the coastlands have seen and are afraid, and the ends of the earth tremble. They've drawn near and have become. Each one helps his neighbor and says to his brother, be strong. So the craftsman encourages the smelter, and he who smooths metal with the hammer encourages him who beats the anvil, saying of the soldering, is this, it is good. And he fastens it with nails so that it will not totter. But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, descendant of Abraham, my friend, you, whom I have taken from the ends of the earth and called from its remotest parts, and said to you, you are my servant, I've chosen you and not rejected you. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And then down in verse 17. Verse 17. The afflicted and needy are seeking water, but there is none. And their tongue is parched with thirst. I, the Lord, will answer them myself. As the God of Israel, I will not forsake them. I will open rivers on the bare heights and springs in the midst of the valleys, and I will make the wilderness a pool of water and the dry land fountains of water. I will put the cedar in the wilderness, the acacia and the myrtle and the olive tree, and I will place the juniper in the desert together with the box tree in Cyprus that they may see and recognize and consider and gain insight as well. That the hand of the Lord has done it and the Holy One of Israel has created it. Now turn over to chapter 43. But now, says the Lord your creator, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, do not fear for I have redeemed you. I have called you my name. You are mine. And when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Through the rivers, they will not overflow you. And when you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I have given Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in your place. Since you are precious in my sight. Have we not heard that several times so far this weekend? Since you are honored and I love you, I will give other men 
in your place and other peoples in exchange for your life. Let that sink in a minute. How special were the people of Israel? Do not fear, I'm with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and gather them from the west, and I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth, everyone who is called by my name and whom I have created for my glory, whom I have formed, even whom I have made. And turn over to 43, verse 20. The people whom I have formed for myself will declare my praise. I want to turn to Deuteronomy 7. But I want to quote to you one of my most favorite verses in the Bible. Deuteronomy 4.20. The Lord has taken you out of Egypt and brought you out of the iron-smelling furnace of Egypt to be a special priceless possession for his own as you are today. <clears throat> what did we hear today from Peter? You have been called, you have been chosen to be a priceless treasure. <clears throat> the description of what we read, and let's look at chapter 7 here. Verse 6. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his own possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. The people whom I have formed for myself will declare my praise. A living praise. Our theme for this weekend has been living praise. But I want to talk to you tonight about being a living praise. <coughs> Because that's you were created for. And I get, a, well, not really amused. Sometimes I get a little perturbed, to be quite honest. But the books out there that trying to encourage people how to be, um, and I, I'm grateful for the social part of the gospel. Again, don't misunderstand me. But you do not need to live a purpose-driven life. You are created to be a life with purpose when you know that you are a living praise. And I want to, you to look tonight as I share a little bit about my testimony. I want you to go back in time with me for just a few minutes. We couldn't read all of Genesis. But when the Lord became enough for me, and I hope that as we study the scriptures and look in God's intention for you and for me and the whole world. I've had women say to me, well, what, is, what does it look like for him to be enough? Were you born again? Were, were, would have you gone to heaven if he wasn't enough? Well, how do I live this? And there are three people that you cannot live a living praise without. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. From the very beginning, that was his intention. There was everything created that Adam and Eve needed. And he said it was good. And I just want to interject here as I go forward. We talk about the goodness of God. 
But really what we're saying is, oh, all the good things he's done for me. The good things that God gives me and creates for me isn't because I even deserve them. And yes, he is good. And yes, he loves me. And yes, he wants to give you wonderful blessings. But by the time you get to the New Testament and you look at Ephesians 1, it's every spiritual blessing. That's what he wants to give us tonight. But back in Genesis, there, there was a, a garden, a paradise, that God created through the word, Jesus himself. You see, John 1 tells us that in the beginning was God, was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was in God. And I remember I used to think as a little girl, well, how was he in God, and how was he with God when he wasn't here yet? You know what it says in John? He was in the bosom of the Father. And we have a hard time understanding, but that is how intimate he wants us to be, is our spirits in his spirit, just like Jesus was in the divine Father's spirit. And we say, oh, that's not possible. We can't have that much intimacy. Adam and Eve, she was created in every way the way they were made to be. God doesn't tell us what they look like. He doesn't tell us if they're tall, short, skinny, fat. God made Adam and Eve perfect, like their father in heaven was perfect. Why? Because his word declared it, his hands created them, and he breathed into them the spirit of the living God. That's what made them perfect. They were the first living praise. Now by the time you get to the first Adam and Eve, what caused the sin? You know, we want to blame Satan. But sin had entered into the world because of Satan. He and his legion of angels had died, and you, or had fallen. And why had they fallen? Because he wanted to be his own God. So he convinced a whole bunch of other to follow his example, and they did. From that moment on in eternity, before the foundation of the world, that devil was determined God wasn't going to win. I am absolutely convinced that Adam and Eve, they knew. In fact, in Romans it says they, man is without, he's without excuse because every part of his creation showed forth that he was God. So when the devil, sneaky old, slimy old, sticky old snake, and my husband wonders why I don't like snakes. He says, when you see one in the basement, just let it live. We don't have poisonous one. I said, sorry, honey, if that snake meets me in my basement, he's dead meat. Care how good he is in the garden. He, it, he's the one that came to Eve. And we won't go in there. We don't have time. The theological depth of where was Adam? What was Eve doing? The truth is, she listened to the lie, and she exerted her own will by the faith that God had put in her at the beginning. God isn't enough. He's holding out on me. He's not really as good as he says. I can't trust him. And their faith in God sunk. 
Therefore, they took matters in their own hands and they looked within themselves and they took of the apple. And I want to tell you that the apple is the transgression of their self-will going inward and saying, I'll do it my own way. And ladies, we call that a three-letter word, sin. My son, he's a mechanic and a hunter, and a, he's a hands man on, and as far as I can tell, his little guy's going to just follow in his footsteps. But a few, this summer, there was some transition in our church, and to his surprise, he was invited as the layman leader of our church to preach. I think it caused him to tremble in his boots a little bit. But I knew he was digging into theology. I knew he was in the Word. And I knew the Holy Spirit was upon him. And I knew he loved God. And I knew it was a burden on his heart to, to let people know the truth, just like the burden that has been on my heart for the church. We need to tell them the truth. So he got up and he preached. And guess what he preached on? Sin. And I thought, what are you preaching on? Sin. I thought, oh, that's a happy subject. <laughs> I didn't say anything. It was wonderful. <clears throat> and afterwards, a little 85-year-old woman, 85-year-old woman, came up to me and said, why did I have to wait till I was 85 to know the truth about sin? Ladies, we've heard about devotedness, devoutedness, being loved. We've, we've heard about belonging. I want to know tonight, are you willing to live the intention of the Heavenly Father for you, regardless of who else follows, so that there may be a remnant that will say, I want Jesus, not only as my Savior. I don't only want to be forgiven of my sins. I was forgiven of my sins at five, and I'm sure you know there was a whole lot of those to be forgiven at five. But I had heard enough truth from the pulpit that I knew I was a bad little girl and I didn't want to go to hell. So that started my walk in journey on living the Christian life. But after 40 years of struggling and up and downs and in and outs and defeating my own self and my own family, I'm sure, I had an encounter with God. But in there you will understand the complete fullness that I began to see in Genesis, in Deuteronomy, in Exodus. Remember he said to his people, do not bring shame on my holy name for I will display my holiness among the people of Israel. I am the Lord who makes you holy. It was I who rescued you from Egypt that I might be your God. I am the Lord. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The mystery of the gospel is Jesus himself. Let me tell you, ladies, it says in 1 Peter, listen to this, to us now, as she said this morning, they were scattered. But he also, in one translation, says to the aliens. I like that, because I have felt like an alien. Do you ever feel like an alien? James wrote to the scattered ones, and I hope to get to James in just a minute. But he said, therefore, so if you want to know what came before there, 
go and read it tonight, 1 Peter 1. He says, therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in your spirit, in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you as the revelation of Jesus Christ. You see, we are living today in the intention of God so that we are ready for the grace to come at his return. And for you to be ready for his return, you are to be a living grace. But, like the Holy One who called you. You see, after the created, they were created and they were sinned, they departed. They were separated from God. They didn't want to walk with him anymore. They didn't want to talk to him anymore. They didn't want to hear him anymore. And it became a call. And what does the Bible say? Many are called, few are chosen. He says, be holy yourself in all your behavior. You shall be holy as it is written, for I am holy. Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your fathers, but with the precious blood of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. Now listen, here's my point. For he was foreknown. He was known. He was in the Father's bosom, in his spirit. Before the foundation of the world, he has appeared in these last times for the sake of you, who through him will be believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. In Revelation and in another translation, before the foundation of the world, the lamb was slain. It was a done deal in heaven. And then, remember in Deuteronomy where he told them in chapter 6, you take it, you talk it, you teach it, you transcribe it, you talk it. I don't even remember what all the other, all the other T's are to your children. You live him, you, you tell him about, remember Joshua, you put the stone in the, in the um, river so that when your kids ask, what is this pile of stones? You can say, this is where God delivered us. This is where God has been faithful to us. I am, I'm asking you tonight, do you have little heaps of stones or a jar of stones? So when your kids say, oh, what's that? This is where he delivered me, but this is where he kept me. This is where he has filled me. Um, when you get to Judges, it's one of the saddest scriptures. The angel of the Lord came upon Gilgal to Bochum and said, I brought you out of Egypt and led you into a land which I have sworn to your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And as for you, you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall tear down their altars, but you have not obeyed me. What is this you have done? Therefore, I said, I will not drive them out before you, but they will become as thorns in your sides, and their gods will be a snare. Verse 10. All that generation were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord, nor the work, nor the work for he, which he had done for his will. That's one of the saddest parts of scripture. It's so important that you and I are a living praise, not just so that I might know him, 
that I might know the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but that I might be able to live and tell and talk and teach and transcribe and take it with my children everywhere we go. The Lord has created you for a wonderful intention. You are his priceless possession who has been made and created and whom he know before you were even in the womb to be a living praise. That's your purpose. That's your calling. You've been chosen. What have I been called and chosen for? First of all, to belong to him, to be born again. You must be born again. And the same Jesus that was with God the Father in Genesis 1 is the same Jesus that came in the flesh to show us how the Father lived, how the Father loved, how the Father cared, how the Father gave, how he drew from the Father, how he talked with the Father. Jesus came to show us a living praise. There was no sin in him. God created through Jesus. God delivered the people because there was Jesus. God gave a promised land because there is Jesus. God provided everything Israel needed and even wanted in Jesus. God sent his Holy Spirit to work and come upon a people to show them the miracles, to shed cow, cows, to put on the doorpost, to give them object lessons and examples of how the goodness of God wanted to rescue them out of the world so that they would be separate unto himself and show the world what a tremendous privilege it is to be holy. But you start with being born again. You have to have those sins forgiven. Now what happens is, we like our sins forgiven if you've had your sins forgiven. And you will not enter into heaven until they have been. But that's not the end of your salvation. That's the beginning. That's the work Jesus and the Father has done for us. But then, if you read in the book, I've talked about how God and the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit were in a sacred fellowship, in a covenant of lavish love. Do you know what a fellowship is? It's partnership. It is a fellowship where I can participate in all that he has. He's not a dictator. He's not a commander. He commands, but he doesn't demand. He offers, he invites you to come and be along to him. And I suppose our stories are all a little different, but the, the thing is, the intention God made for us were all the same. For years it took me <laughs> a long time to figure out I didn't have to be like that. I just had to have Jesus. Not only is my Savior... But in 1999, when I was frailing and kicking up my heels and didn't like where God had put me, I had all my plans worked out. And they were good plans. There wasn't any sin involved in them. Transgressions. There were not serious transgressions. <laughs> this all have sinned. But the point was, I was so tempted, and I belonged to him. And my parents were so loving to me that they loved me, and they loved me, and they loved me, and they gave to me, and they made sure I had the best of everything from piano lessons to college, and, and then the Lord gave me. You see, God does want to give us blessings. He does want to give us red roses. He does want to bless us in goodness, but not in place of himself. The first thing we are is to have every transgression but the point is, there is a sin center that needs to be dealt with. And to be a living praise, 
You not only need to be forgiven, you need to have a new center where you know in yourself you can't be the person that you wish you could be for Jesus. And, and you try and you try and you strive and you fumble and you bumble and you, you could even sin. And then you think, oh, what happened to me? Because I was trying to be a Christian on my own because I was a good person. That was the trouble with the Pharisees. Oh, you whitewashed tombs? They, they made bondage because they wanted everybody, you had to do this, you had to do that. You know what Jesus says? Come. Come, you who are lovely laden. Come unto me. And I have heard the word surrender so many times in my life. Oh, you must be surrendered. I surrender all. All to thee. I surrender all. And ladies, I have been surrendered so many times. I thought this just isn't what well, I'm missing him so. And I think Jesus said, oh, I'm so glad you asked. Yes, you need to be born again. I died so that you can be born again. And someone said to me, the gospel in a nutshell is just forgiveness. Uh-uh. You can quote me. If you are like the thief on the cross and you don't live any farther than just a couple hours with the Savior, yes, your sins are forgiven and he's cleansed you from all unrighteousness and you can come home with me in paradise. That is the beauty of even the death bit of the finding him on deathbeds. He will take you when you are forgiven. That is why he came, for the forgiveness of sins. But if you're going to live the intention for which you're forgiven, you're going to need to do or to respond in a couple other areas. And the second one is, <clears throat> I hate to tell you it's more than a surrender. It's called death. <laughs> Oops. There, I said it. But he doesn't leave us there. Uh, there is such an argument among the church about, well, don't you sin? I've had teachers say, you sin every thought word and deed. And I thought, well, the devil himself doesn't do much better than that. They'll say, well, you're, you're sinning right now. And I would just look at them in horror. Apparently, we haven't read Romans 6 through 8. So, I'm going to read it. What shall we say then? Romans 6, 1 to 12. Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us have been baptized into Christ, have been baptized into his death? There is an identification. When I come into Christ, he who is without sin comes to me who is full of sin, cleanses me from all righteousness, and invites me to die to the self-will that causes me to transgress in the first place. And the cross of Jesus Christ is the way not only to the Father, but it's the way to live the intention of a sacred fellowship with the triune God. For we have become united with him in the likeness of death. Certainly, 
we shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, the old self has been crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with. Nobody ever told me that until I had lived 40 years in up and down, in and out, misery, disillusion with Christianity. I remember sitting in my bathroom. That's where he talks to me a lot. <laughs> and he says, I said, Jesus, if you can't do something more for me, I'm done. I'm no different than the neighbor next door except I have a title and a ticket neither of which are biblical you see we're talking about a savior we're talking about a will the love of the father the blood of the son and the holy spirit we are talking about salvation and I want to use your sanctification is begun he said to his disciples you are clean because I have spoken the word to you but Tarry and wait for the promise of the Father who's going to bring to you after I ascend the powerful one, the pure one, the teacher, the comforter, everything you need one. <laughs> and he's going to come and flood you so that you can live victorious. I love Wesley. He was one of the first in the newer paradigm to, to see that there was more. To know that he needed more than just forgiveness of sins. He needed more than just warmed in his heart. But ladies, it's not two works we're looking for. It's three people we need. And there's three needs I need. I need to be forgiven. I need to be the center or the sanctuary. I need to be the vessel of honor so that he can come as in a forgiven person and one who can have him, I am his home. Second Thessalonians. We give always thanks to you, God, to God for you, brethren, sisters, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning, from the beginning, from the beginning, from the beginning, to be holy, to be his, to be his vessel of honor. And sin did a number on us. And because we don't see the whole story of being forgiven and then filled with the Holy Spirit and then living in the Holy Spirit, we just figured we stumbled again. We failed. We couldn't do it. This, I have had women say to me, it doesn't work. I've tried it. I've worked with people who claim they're sanctified and they're mean. And they're hard to work with. And you've heard me say this before, but even waitresses have said the hardest group to serve on Sundays is the church. Because they don't understand the intention. He has chosen you to be his vessel, to be a living praise. And a living praise is one that has the love of the Father, the life of the Son, and the, the love of the Father, and the blood of the Son, and the life of the Holy Spirit dwelling in them, Faithfully, devoutedly, we heard that the Old Testament people, the Spirit came upon them because they followed his word. They wanted to be God to be their only God. I will be your God, you will be my people. And they believed. He says, God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the now, that's part A and B. 
born again, and death to self. Ladies, I had surrendered, but 1999, March 3rd, and it was incidentally right before a ladies' retreat. And that's when I said to the Lord, I'm, I'm done. I'm miserable. And the Lord said, I said, I'm, you're not enough for me. And he always said, Linda, I'm not enough for you. And in 1999, even though I'd been surrendered, and I, would, I belonged to him, I had never seen, I was a little like Isaiah, woe is me. If you get a glimpse of the holiness of God, you won't want just forgiven. You will want to be as pure and squeaky clean when he comes. And ladies, that isn't done by your hard work and labor. It's done by his faithfulness and a heart who says, I've laid down my life. And Paul said it so beautifully. Nevertheless, I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, it is not I who lives. But now by faith, it is life in Christ Jesus by faith in the Son of God. Now, if you read Romans uh, 6, how we work, I think that if we had better teaching and proper living and consistent, te and consistent overflow, I'm not sure we would have to wait 40 years. In the Israelites, they waited 40 years. Only two, two made it to the promised land. I've done a lot of thinking about that promised land. You know, Moses couldn't even enter in. Now, he was all gods. But in the depth of pressure and tired of working with the stiff-necked people of God, he took it upon his own strength, and God allowed him to, and he whacked that old rock. Have you ever been that angry with your kids? Not that you whacked the rock, but you disciplined in anger. Instead of stepping aside and speaking to the Holy Spirit and said, I can't do this. I don't know how to teach these kids. I don't know how to show them the love of Jesus. I haven't done a very good job. That was my cry that night. I had never died to Linda's self-will. I was still turned inward. I know that now. I didn't understand it all. All I knew is I needed him to be enough. Guess what? He began to put a whole list of things, pluses. Oh, I wanted Jesus, but I wanted Jesus plus a good marriage. I wanted Jesus plus a wonderful ministry. I wanted Jesus plus girls, plus a pastorate, plus, 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 plus. And guess where he put me? On the farm. I had no more desire to live on a farm than a fish desires to live in a microwave. And you know what? I, there wasn't an emotional hoopla. But I knew he was enough. And Jesus, his will was now my will. And Lord, wherever you want me, wherever you take me, wherever you give me, whatever you allow to me, you be enough so that you can keep me as a living praise to live in faithfulness, purity, and obedience like I was created. Amen. 
we get hung up on obedience. Obedience is nothing more than following the word. So you have the Father, you have the Word, and you have the Holy Spirit. And you need all three to be a living praise. And if you say, well, I've been saved, and you say, that's just the way I am. I don't know how to live like this. You're missing out on the greatest, greatest sacred love fellowship there ever was. Now, this summer, the second part of that is, when you have laid down yourself... The Holy Spirit not only is the seed of the Father, as described in John, and I heard someone say, well, don't I get all the Holy Spirit? Yes, you do. At conversion. But he doesn't have all you. And I'm not talking about all of your kids, all of your house, all of your possessions. Oh, he wants those. But you're not really going to give them to him with joy until you have a new center and a new will where your spirit is united in his. That is the key for growth. And then Ephesians says, when you have, you are holy, you've been made holy, he's going to bless you with every spiritual blessing. And I ask you, is that enough for you? What if Jesus gives you every spiritual blessing, but your dreams and your desires and your marriage and everything else you, you find yourself tonight, or you found yourself years ago. Maybe you haven't been treated fairly. You might have been abused, or you might have had a, a really rough marriage, or you might have prodigals, and you're stressing, and you don't know where God, where are you? Why does God allow good, pe good bad things to good people? He doesn't. They are the choices and the consequences of the first sin. Going inward, I'll do it my way. Now I want you to turn to James, and we're going to look at this. I heard that Martin Luther didn't like this. He said it was ouchy, had teeth in it. It's becoming one of my very favorite books. Because when you have the presence of God within you, and you have the love of God, which is really holiness, the love of selfless love, you also need the word, the written word. You're a carrier of his word now. But you need the word. Some of you, we've advertised the books Corey Ten Boom. I love that lady. Because in the midst of my struggles, I read her book and we're out of it. But it's called Prisoner and Yet. And Yet What? Free. Free. What was her secret? She was a born-again, cleansed vessel, filled with the Holy Spirit, had an example, and maybe you haven't had examples, but you can start to be one, of what it meant to be so totally abandoned to God that wherever he put you... Now, she struggled. I think she said, man, God, Really? In a concentration camp, when we were trying to do your will by sparing the Jews? Here's what she said. We rob the work of Jesus Christ of its efficiency, which is the power to produce, and we stand powerless before the adversary because we doubt the integrity of the word of God. How much are you in the word? 
I wish they'd take every book off the shelves that says a three-minute devotional. Well, I might give you warm, fuzzy feelings, but it sure isn't going to help you when the rubber hits the road. How much are you in the Word of God? Over in Psalm 119, I love this. It's one of my favorite Old Testament books. I read it, well, I was reading it every month, every other month, and I got so excited about it, now I read it every month. I can't, I can't hardly go without it because he reminds me he is chasing after the Word of God to help his life be in tune, according. And according means, in accordance means in agreement, not to be separated from. <laughs> in accordance means you are in the same mind. You're going to live in, as the Word says, as the Word declares. Listening to a lie and ignoring the word of God is a downward slope to death when not confessed nor atoned for. If you listen to a lie, you'll go down a slope you didn't want to go. You better be in the word and be people of Jesus who is true. Adam and Eve knew what God said. He said, don't eat it through you or you will die. They ignored his word, they listened to him the lie, and looked within themselves through man's logic and made a sound argument justifying their actions. Every time such thinking gives way to sin. Mm -hmm. And when he began enough for me that night, I remember saying, sin is not a way of escape. Never. Here's what the psalmist says. He talks about the intention. He uses the word statutes. I won't give you all of them, but here's what they, the, the meaning of them. His intentions, the instructions, the how-tos, the peace and the protection from the laws, the witness of the law of love giving testimony, the ordinances which were corporate order among the people, the commandments which was God's nature revealed through the character of the Ten Commandments. It's all in here. He says, deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes that I can behold what they are. And then he says, my soul clings to the dust. I'm pretty down, if I'm paraphrasing here. Revive me according to, going shopping, revive me with a date with my husband, revive me with a Coca-Cola. No, he says, revive me according to the word. When I was sick this couple years, it started about two years ago and I had an injury. And then I got COVID, and then I got it up, and then I got COVID again. And the aftermath, it did a number on me. I couldn't think. I couldn't read. I, I, I tried to pray. Well, I did, because prayer is the unbroken communion, and I would just say, Jesus, Jesus, I love you, but I can't, I can't stay at it. I would get distracted. I would be so tired, and I was, we got to get up and do something back down and go. And I, I, was, I went through a period of depression. I said, Lord, I can't do much. I can't do anything, really, except lay here. And you know what he said? It's not up to your performance or your works. It's up to my faithfulness. And can I give you a content heart and spirit where you will lay in that bed and worship me and just lift names of others? And I began to sit in front of the, in, with the word in my little prayer chair, it used to be my mama's prayer chair, I would sit there and, or lay in bed 
and I could sense his peace. He, Ephesians 2.14, he himself, himself, do you have all of himself in you? Yes, you're born with him. But there comes in time when he said to his own disciples, you wait, you tarry, till the power and the purity and the, and the provision and all the promises of life come to you so that you all have the power to live. They tried to live. They didn't have the power to drive out this, the, the demons or the cripples. They didn't have power to love one another instead of themselves, which Jesus said in the Gospels, love me with all your heart, mind, soul, and body, and love the second is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. The disciples did not love each other. They quarreled over who'd get the best seat in the end dinner. They quarreled who would be on his right side. They fussed, they fumed, they denied, they left. And you've heard me say this before, if I was Jesus, I would have said, okay, God, we goof, let's get another 12. But you know what? He'd have the same problem. You can be born again, you can be chosen, you can be called to himself, but until those disciples saw their need and cried out, oh God, I'm sure in that upper room those days before the spirit fell, they began to see themselves and they began to see who God was. And even when precious little Mary went to him afterwards and said, he's here, he's alive, I saw him, believe. And it says they still had unbelief. Now James says, a bondservant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes who are scattered abroad. Greetings, he says. And how are they scattered through persecution? And then he says, consider it all joy when you have the various trials. <laughs> so you who are in persecution and you're having a hard time, consider it joy. <coughs> Peter and James were not only written to the aliens and the foreigners and the scattered ones, they were written to the ones who were suffering. And what does, then he goes on and says, let endurance have its perfect work in you, its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And ladies, let me just say, when you read about this perfect, don't get hung up on performance. <laughs> Make it your desire and your, your devotedness and your uh, yieldedness to say, Lord, you're allowing this, and I'm going to receive it if this is from you. Yes, he did deliver Daniel. Yes, he did deliver the three. And yes, he did deliver Joseph out of the, the prison after 18 years. I wish we could do the whole session on Joseph. He has quite a life to show us. But at the end, when he let God be enough and he didn't care if he got out of the prison or not, whether he was delivered or not, whether he was treated fairly or not, whether he would see his brothers ever again or his father, he said, I can tell you, Pharaoh, what you need, and that's God, and he'll give you the answer your dreams and when he was so faithful in the midst of suffering in the midst of prisons just like Corey Ted Boone just like Isabel who suffered and and Rosalind Goforth and Moses all those Hebrews 11 the hall of faith they didn't see their answer but they had a faith built on God that was unmovable they were built on the rock 
And he goes down and says, you will lack nothing. What does he say in um, 2 Corinthians? He will give you, no, 2 Peter, everything you need. And one translation says, for godliness and life. That's a little, I, I like the translation that says godly living. You can't separate godliness and life. The Holy Spirit gives you godly living through his Holy Spirit. He says, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. For, and first he says, you must ask in faith without doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea. Do you know that faith really isn't faith until it's tried? In the garden, they were tested. Where were they going to put their faith? And they failed. Even there. Even Jesus was tested. He was tried. But he depended on what? The word. And the Holy Spirit that was within him. The faith that is built on just being forgiven, but still self is very much alive. There is no room in the faith of Jesus for that kind of living. He is the author, the example, the finisher of faith for the double-minded and divided hearts. Let me ask you tonight, do you have, are you double-minded and divided hearts? If you are forgiven, but you're trying to be his, but you still want your own way, or you may be participating in sin, I'm here to tell you, Paul just lay it flat out, you who are professing to be the church, but you have immorality in your lives, you are carnal. And you are babes. I can't even tell you the deeper things of life because you, you can't have any more than milk. He says, if you don't have faith, solid faith, you're a double-minded man, unstable in all your ways. And then he goes on and, and expresses it. This summer at Indian Springs, it's out there, the, the book on James, and I don't remember his name now, but he did a Bible study on James. I sat there glued. Because the Holy Spirit began to work in my own heart and mind. Now I knew I was dead to self, and I knew the Holy Spirit lived within me, and I knew that I, I was his home, and he was my home. But do you remember back in the Old Testament Israelites when he said, get rid of all the enemies. Don't save a one. And when you get to the end of Joshua, or when you get to Joshua, it says they didn't drive out this one, they didn't drive out that one, they didn't drive out this one, they didn't drive out that one. They didn't drive out hardly any of them that he told them to. Well, ladies, when you have died to yourself and you allow the Holy Spirit to just reign, and he is literally the life by which you live, that's the enoughness of Jesus. Jesus is enough when you've laid yourself well down and say, I want you, I want your will, I want your way, I want only your work and not the works of the flesh. Read it in, in Romans 8. Beautiful, one of my favorite chapters about how when we are his, when we belong, when we have been filled, we are not to live the lusts of the flesh, but after righteousness. He says those, those people that listen to their own appetites continually hear but never obtain or live the truth, he calls them double-minded. Faith without tests and trials 
and temptations. They aren't really faith, not the kind of faith that God wants us to have. That kind of faith is looking at an object or a person just for what he gets. I have had so many say, of course he's enough. He's enough to do this. He's enough to give me this. He's enough. Yes, he can, and he probably he could, he will, but he may. Are you a, are, do you have a faith in the Lord Jesus Christ that is unshakable when your prayers are not answered by your sight? Are you is your faith strong enough so that it's the substance that's talked about in Hebrews? Faith is the substance of trust. That they are who they proclaim, even when you can't see or explain, and it is folly, like folly to do so. Now hear these. Tested faith can prove God's faithfulness when I believe and trust him. He knows what he's doing. Remember, if you're struggling, or you have been abused, or there is, there is death in your family, or there is cancer and you're not healed, that's not God's fault. That's the results of not necessarily the sin of that person, but sin. When the world makes fun of us, when there's delayed provision, when there's waiting, you see, we may be all his, but that faith has to be trusted and sure, and it can be strengthened by the enoughness of Jesus, the Holy Spirit within you. So tested faith can prove God's faithfulness when I believe and trust. Number two, tried faith strengthens my loyalty to Jesus. When you end up where you don't, where you didn't dream you'd be. And all the list of other things I just named. When bad things happen. Tried faith can strengthen your loyalty to Jesus. Number three, in this, uh, read James. Tempted faith strengthens my dependency on his word and refuses to have sin as a way out, claiming the promise he will make of a way of escape just like Joseph. Number D, tribulation faith, provides an invitation with a fellowship of his sufferings with Jesus like you've never known. <coughs> Don't go to something else to fill, fill your pain or to get rid of your pain. I remember he told me that about my, little, my children. Don't try to get them out of the pain. Don't try to fix the problem. Let God do his work through the sufferings and the pain that they have. A James faith will run to the word, just like Psalm 119. But he says, not only as a hearer, but as a doer. I want to just give you two examples. He doesn't fix us. He empowers us. He cleanses us. We have an inheritance that we can enjoy now, the enoughness of Jesus. The enoughness of Jesus is the holy abundance of God. The enoughness of Jesus is the holy abundance of God. Are you living on that? Now, why, are, why do we struggle so and doubt so even when we've known him? Well, I, there's a couple reasons, but I want to give you my perspective. As you, a doer of a word isn't a, ser, a serving, working. You can serve and still miss the master. I served, I taught, played, had Bible studies, but I didn't know the master as, a, as his will 
and the overflowing abundance of his provision. I was doing it in my own flesh, and I had to confess it. So here, this is years later now, and this, and there, I don't know what your weaknesses are. One of mine is what others think of me. And I guess it came from when I was in school and I got made fun of because I wouldn't participate with them. And I knew I was supposed to be good. Maybe it was a good thing my parents said, we don't do this, we don't do that. I suppose that might have been okay because it did keep me from a lot of yuck. <laughs> but I had to realize that it wasn't in that that I needed. It was himself. But nevertheless, I have committed that to him and gotten victory. And I, you know, even when you've given it to the Lord, that, that the enemy's not going to quit accusing you. Because that's his name. So the doer of the word is not a worker. It is telling, it is looking at the word for absolute truth. And it is, and then he talks about the time. And this gentleman that was teaching said, he believes that James was talking about the tongue of lies to yourself. What's your tongue say to yourself? I don't know what, what what you've been through, but I guarantee you, the enemy will harp on it and harp on it, and he'll bring it back, and he calls it the old egg gag. He says he'll raise his ugly head. You know when he raises his ugly head for me when I'm getting ready to speak? Oh, the lies. It was what they would say. It was being made fun of because I was a little fluffy when I was a junior high kid. So I spent nearly my entire life trying to be skinny. I found out that that wasn't satisfying either. You're not going to have true satisfaction unless he's your savior, your center, or your, that's your will, your center. Who's the authority of your life? And then your source. And this summer, I was my 50th high school reunion. Uh, and I had a hard time there. But I thought I'd be real brave, and I paid for Phil and I to go, and, I, and there were only 19 in our class, but anyway. We went, we were the second graduating class, there were 19 of us. And I, the fear and anxiety that came up in me, I thought, where has this come from? So I went to Jesus, and my dear husband helped me. He said, just go, we've already paid for it. So I went. And one of the things I knew I had to do was when I was in high school, and I don't even remember the circumstances, I just know I lied on a spelling test. So it had been hounding me for servers, and I kept, I kept rationalizing. I said, Lord, I, I, I've been forgiven. It's clear. Yes, it was. And I didn't know if I should write to him. I didn't know where he was at that time. I didn't even know if he was still living because he was of an age. Don't you know who showed up? At the and the Holy Spirit said, <clears throat> oh, I wiggled my way up there. But I whispered in his ear, I said, Mr. Kirkpatrick, I need to confess something to you. And I poured it out, and he put his arm around me, and he hugged me. And ladies, I was set free. That's obedience. It set me free. And do you know, the, the people that were there, I, they asked if there, anybody wanted to say anything. Well, I wasn't about to say anything. And then several of the gals came to me and said, well, what have you been doing? And I had taken some books. And I shared just a little bit about Jesus becoming enough for me. And then one of the gals, her eyes filled and said, oh, 
do you have any of those books? I said, I do. I gave three away. And I thought, Lord, what if I said, nah, I don't need to go back where I was hurt. I'll just stay home. But he wants to take you to this, those sore places and those places that were tough, and he wants you to face them in the name of Jesus and say, I can be set free. And the other one was, again, it was the same area, and the Lord gave me a special verse. I've, I've quoted it and quoted it all summer long. When I would go play at the uh, Indian Springs or when I would go to family things, he, he says in that first Peter, if you have suffered for what is righteous and good, you are blessed. Then he says in big caps, do not fear their intimidation and be not in dread. And those jumped out at me. Ladies, go to the word, expect the word to me. You claim the word, read the word, memorize the word, play the word, say the word. Whatever you have to do about the word, grab the word. Let me just say, Jesus took all your sin, all your pain, all your rejection, all your accusations, all your being, all your being made fun of, all the hurts that you've gotten, all the abuse that you've had, all the dysfunctional things in your generations, he took them all on the cross. We don't remember the cost of love. We need to be reminded of the little girl whose mother had, had scars all over her arms and her little girl was embarrassed. So she had her mom wear, wear shirts. And finally, long sleeves. And finally, she said, Mama, why do you have those scars? And she said, One day there was a bad fire in the house, and I rescued you. And the little girl began to sob and said, Oh, Mommy, oh, Mommy, don't cover up your scars anymore. Help me to remember. And, ladies, if you want to love as Christ loved, there will be a cost. Because that's the life of Christ in the world that is so full of wickedness. And the only way you're going to live today in victory, and you may, I'm talking about living his intention, the victorious life, being an influence on those around you, as a born-again believer, as one who's laid their self-will down, the one who's, who is yielded and living in the enoughness. And why I gave you those illustrations is you'll never, you don't just stop stagnant because we're not talking about an it. Sanctification isn't it. Salvation isn't an it. The enoughness isn't an it. It's three people in one. And so therefore, your life either grows in him or you go farther and farther away from him in the flesh. And Romans 8 says the result is death. But he can pour into you every day, every hour, his enoughness. And on your floor by fighting hard. I want you to tell yourself truth tonight through the power of the Holy Spirit. Is there something in your life you've been avoiding? Someone in your life you've been avoiding? Have you ever been born again? Do you know him as your Savior? Have you ever said, I am a sinner and I need forgiven and cleansed of all unrighteousness? Will you help me to become one who belongs? Or maybe you're one who says, I belong to him, I'm good. I didn't ask you if you were good. I asked you, who is the will of your life? Who's your center? And are you living in a sacred fellowship? 
through the power of the Holy Spirit. Are you living your inheritance? Are you living the enoughness? Every thought with the mind of Christ, everything you speak with the mouth of Christ, everything you do in a day from doing diapers to doing dishes, the Holy Spirit can help you do it. What do you need today to lay at the cross and say, I'm done with this? I need the Holy Spirit to cleanse me and fill me, and then I need to live in the Spirit like I've never known I could live. That's your sanctification. That's your full sanctification. It's living in the enoughness of Jesus. The overflow, the holy abundance of God. Through the holy blood of the Son. Through the will of the Father and the Holy Spirit. Maybe there is a family issue that you just can't face. What's keeping you from being his vessel of honor? Sanctified wholly through and through. Growing in him through and through so that I might be a vessel of honor, a living, a living praise for God. And if you live such a life, others will take note, just like the king did with David, I mean with Daniel, and the ones in the fiery furnace, and Joseph. Do you know those are the three Old Testament people that where it says the world noticed there was a spirit not of themselves. Maybe you're in a prison today in life. I don't know where you are, but you do. And if you don't know where you are, the Holy Spirit does. So you can ask him. Ladies, I don't want you to go home without being a living praise. And you can only be that when you've been made complete in him, yielding to Forgiven, cleansed, dead to self-will, and alive in the resurrection power of the Holy Spirit. I want to give you testimony that it is real. And he is faithful. And he wants to do in every one of you what you, you can't doubt. You have to have faith that's not washy and wobbly based on circumstances. You have to have a faith that's based on the nature and the faithfulness 